You're listening to the Known Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Known Legacy Ministries. For more information, go to knownlegacy.org. Now here's your hosts, Bill and Travis. It is finally warm and like cool enough to drink a warm cup of coffee. It's going to be 90 degrees. I don't care. Shut your mouth. <laughs> it started out in the low 70s. I'll tell you. So we both grew up north, right? Yeah. And, and fall for me is my favorite time of year. Oh, I love fall. It's but it's, an, it's a northern fall that I love. I don't like Texas fall because Texas fall is summer everywhere else. It's 90 degrees, 70 in the morning, hot, humid. We yeah. get storms roll through every evening. It's, it's, it's like summer in the north. Yes. But we have to embrace it as fall down here. So I see the women wearing their pirate boots and, you know, <laughs> their Han around. Solo outfits. <laughs> yes, yes. It's Han, Han Solo, Solo season again. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, their little pumpkin spice whatevers and everything else. Oh. And so uh, um, anyways, uh, Bill's yeah, good I'm to see excited you. because it's, it's good to see you and see Travis. And or I mean, I mean, it's co- <laughs> you're, you are Travis. It's good. to. S- I need more coffee more really coffee. quick. I got this. Coffee. I got this. Hey, if you're checking out the podcast, thank you so much. Uh, check it out at uh, knownlegacy.org is the website. That's where you can get Bill's book as well. Uh, if you want to make a donation to the mission and the cause, that'd be great as well. Um, info at knownlegacy.org is a great way to get Dot a hold org. of us. <laughs> We're working on the, uh, the <laughs> plug on that. <laughs> and always, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, you can follow us and uh, like us there. Share if it, you find it meaning. Share and it. Man, if you want to give a review, that helps us uh, find our way onto more people's uh Yeah, share lists. it with it. Review, That's that does help. And let your friends know about us yep. if we are good enough. Okay, so Bill, you posted something the other day, and I need to, I need to, I need to have words. Okay, okay. It's something about uh, a fall object. Okay. That uh, comes around from time to time. Yes. And uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll just let you step on that landmine. See where that goes. I hate candy corn with all that's in me. Like I hate it. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I hate it too. I see how this is going to go. Oh, it is. <laughs> in other news, if you're looking to be a part of a podcast, there's going to be an opening on this microphone now. Not so, a chance. <laughs> All options are, are welcome here. So so my wife does the grocery shopping every Saturday, and every Saturday she brings home a bag or two of the candy corn, right? Oh. And the reason why she does it every Saturday, because Sunday afternoon, that bag or two of candy corn is gone. Really? Else. And it's not me that eats it. I don't mind it. Ugh. My wife loves the stuff. I, you and know, she sons, threw some shade at me because of oh, that. Yeah. So she was mad. Yeah, absolutely. And um, my, my sons think it's like, it's fall crack cocaine. They just, it's the grossest, you know, waxy uh, sugar. Like, I'm just, just disappointed you even mentioned it because I deleted it from my memory. It's so <laughs> terrible. And then I brought it up to you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, I have a gift for both of you, and it's a bag of candy corn. <laughs> yeah. So enjoy. Good. Enjoy. It, you know, it works good if you if you grab the bag together and throw it in the trash <laughs> all in one piece versus, you know, residually. So much hate. It's so the much worst. Hate. It's the What's worst. What's even worse is when you're out trick-or-treating as a kid and they put a bag of candy corn in there. I know. You know what I can't say? You know what I would rather <laughs> eat? I'd rather eat those wax lips. That they yes. used to have, those were awesome, yes. and they actually I have more flavor and they have more you, volume. <laughs> candy corn is terrible. Well, okay, I, the candy corn pumpkins, I would agree with, but legit candy corns, all of it. Oh, the only thing I like about candy corns is if you put them together and like a, they actually can make like a corn if you put them together. You know that? What? If you take all the points yeah. and you point them together, they will make a. That's why they're called candy corn. Is they row up like a candy corn. I feel like I know what my afternoon activity is going to be on Saturday. <laughs> What's with the hot glue and candy corn, Travis? 
Okay, now, 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 now we've asked this question. What is your favorite like fall candy? Then I mean, do you like candy? Is that oh, your? it's it's got to be the the pumpkin Reese's pieces, uh, Reese's Ooh. peanut butter cups, because I think it's a perfect blend of the pumpkin on the inside, or not the pumpkin, yep. the uh, the peanut butter on the inside and yeah. the chocolate on the outside. Oh, Everyone has so a different good. ratio. I think the the cups a little too much chocolatey. And the uh, the Christmas trees are a little bit too much peanut buttery, but mm, the pumpkins the pumpkins have a good just, mix. Man, throw those in the freezer, pop one in when it's ninety five degrees I out here try in October, not Texas. It's amazing. <laughs> it's a ninety degree. It's <laughs> ninety time for pumpkin. Fall. <laughs> okay, what's your favorite candy, Kyle? Snickers. Snickers all the time. Okay, all the time. Did you ever freeze them? Yeah. Well, yes, and they have the frozen ones that have ice cream in them which instead of the nougat. Amazing. Which those are the bomb. Oh my yeah. gosh, Ooh. that makes me fat kid happy. That is <laughs> fat so fat kid, kid happy. I know it's not holiday related, but I don't care. It's okay. I, it's like it's okay. What's currently happening is a bunch of men who are driving around listening to this are pulling into a QT <laughs> exactly. or a racetrack to get, go get candy some. right now. Where, I want the pumpkin ones. <laughs> Where's the pumpkins? <laughs> Bill, how about you? Uh, Since you're such a hater of the candy corn, I will say either mounds or almond joy. I love coconut and chocolate and stuff. That's my. That's probably it. So when you get those little like, and you get those little like um, almond joys have nuts. Mounds no, don't. don't. <laughs> so, but they're good. I love coke. I think because it's like a little bit like exotic. You know, coconut exotic. <laughs> and so my exo- That's as far as my exotic fruit Growing goes. Growing up in New York, I totally understand. In New York, <laughs> we used to have all these exotic fruits like lemons, <laughs> and coconuts. So, but you know, speaking of that, you know, we have. So, uh, I, I know we're speaking of exotic. We have a, a oh, nice, we have nice a transition. guest yes. um, who has an exotic story of where his parents <laughs> were missionaries. It's a really, really cool story. I'm excited to have him on. Tom Thompson, are you still there with us, or have you already hung up the phone? <laughs> uh, no, but I, I have to stand in for all of those uh, those of us who are addicted to candy corn. Oh. And, uh, I, ha- I have to defend it. I'm afraid. So, yeah, do I need to load uh, the scoreboard? <laughs> yes, we need to load the scoreboard. Two for two. Since it's two for two, we're welcome to stay. This is a this is an open forum now. So good gracious. Comment oh, below. We, we have a new yes. Yeah. Let so us know. Other than candy corn time, do you have a favorite candy during these fall seasons? Uh, you know, I, I'm an equal opportunity offender. So yeah. <laughs> Tom's my new favorite uh, guest right now. We like him. <laughs> we like him. Well, man, we're so glad to have you on today, Tom. You know, we uh, we, we were talking before this kind of sharing, you know, and, and I had a chance to listen or actually watch your your testimony and story. Yeah. And it was powerful. And man, I really I'm so glad to have you on today because I think it could be super beneficial to the guys who are listening. So, Tom, take it away. Share a little bit about yourself. Share your story if you can. And uh, and I know that it was a long story, but man, if there's if there's a way, we'd we'd love to hear that story today. If you could share that, absolutely. Sure. So, uh, you know, a lot of times people ask you where you're from, and for a lot of people, that's pretty easy. But um, you know, I was I, I was born in Pennsylvania. I just was there a couple couple weeks at the very end of my mother and father's. Uh, furlough, Ed and Ruth Thompson, uh, in 49, they left uh, the U.S. Uh, to go be missionaries in Cambodia and uh, threw a little Willie's Jeep on the back of a fr- uh, freighter and uh, headed over there and, and started a ministry with the Cambodian people. Uh, started a small church there uh, in Cambodia in a town called Karache, uh, which was right on the Meking River. And uh, so they were there, had been there about 10 years. And um, hadn't seen a lot of fruit it was still just uh, one fairly small church 20 or 30 believers at the time and then in uh so that's i was the youngest of five kids and i was the only one not born in cambodia my uh four older siblings david uh, is the oldest 
or Laurel is the oldest, and then David, and then uh, Dale, and then Judy. They were born there in Cambodia. So uh, about 10 years in, uh, into their ministry, something interesting really uh, happened. Uh, there was a knock on the door of our humble home there in Karachi, and uh, uh, my dad answered the door, and uh, it was a tribal chief from the Manon tribe. And the Manon tribe uh, lived up in the mountains. Uh, there was about 10,000 uh, within the tribe across about 30 different villages. And uh, he told my father, he says, you know, in our tribe, we believe in a heavenly God, but we don't know who he is. And we heard that you might be able, you know, we've had stories passed down, you know, by word of mouth over the years, uh, but uh, we're excited. We've heard that you uh, you may have the rest of that story and uh, wanted to invite you to come out and, and share that wow. with our uh, with our people and so of course uh being that there hadn't been a lot of fruit uh dad was pretty excited and he had a little norton motorcycle that's kind of how he got around to some remote areas and so he started a ministry over the next two, six years he went every week uh, to different villages uh the manon tribe and a lot of times he'd, he'd drive as far as he could sometimes he'd have to walk three or four miles to get into these villages and he began to share the gospel uh with uh with the manon tribe and he did this for six years and uh, there were times when, uh, you know, we would we would go with him um, to some of the villages that were not so far away. Actually, there was a couple we had to travel by elephant back uh, for as much as one to two days to get some of to some of the more of the remote villages. Um, but wow. again, at the end of at the end of six years in 1965, uh, the the or the uh, Cambodian government decided there was no more religious freedom. They kicked out all of the missionaries. We obviously were not the only ones in Cambodia, and we were kicked out. And um, so uh, mom and dad uh, were with the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And so they went back to the States to consult on what's next. And it was determined they would uh, go just across the border into Vietnam, into a town called Bami Tuat, which was very close to the border. And uh, the hope was that, and my father was building a small cabin up near the border, not where we live, uh, to where kind of make uh, maybe a day trip up there because being next to the border, he was hoping he might still be able to communicate with and continue to share the gospel with the Manon tribe. But even after six years of ministry, um, there was not a, a single tribal person in the Manon tribe that came to Christ. And these were people who wanted, these were people who wanted to know. And I'm sure uh, there must have been some frustration, uh, you know, wondering about the fruit. And, uh, you know, and so um, they had to really start over. It was determined they would work with a, a tribe in Vietnam called the Rade tribe. And so they had to start over. They had to learn both Vietnamese uh, and Rade. Wow. And uh, I will tell you that as an adult, learning languages um, is, is not only challenging, but um, very entertaining and comical for the people <laughs> that you're serving. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, and they quite enjoyed it. But um, So they started over, and, uh, you know, for the first year and a half working, uh, there was one, uh, one pastor, a very young pastor, about 22 years old, and again, another small church of maybe 20 or 30 believers there in Bami Tuat. Now, they lived on a missionary compound. Um, there were uh, seven missionaries who lived in that compound. And um, so, but it was a, it was an interesting area because, again, it was near the border of, of uh, Cambodia. And right between Bami Tuat and the border was what was known as the Ho Chi Minh Trail during the Vietnam War. Yeah, yes. That, uh, yeah, that was the supply line that the North Vietnamese uh, communists would send down their supplies, their troops, to fight against uh, both the South Vietnamese Army as well as you know the U.S. Army who was there as well. And so it was kind of a hotly contested area. And so we did not go to school in Vietnam. Uh, us kids, we 
uh, twice a year we'd get on a plane and, and we flew to a boarding school that was in Malaysia. Penang, Malaysia. First it was in the mountains of Malaysia and then relocated down to Penang, which is an island off the coast of Malaysia. Okay. And uh, so uh, that's where we would go to school and uh, for four months at a time. I actually knew my dorm parents uh, probably better than my own parents because even when we were home, they were about the kingdom business and we were about exploring and building forts and doing whatever kids do, right? And uh, so uh, we were uh, we were at school. Uh, now, my oldest two uh, siblings, David uh, and, and Judy, had already graduated uh, from the boarding school. They were back in the States. They were in college. We had just left for boarding school at, during the first week of January. And... Uh, and the, uh, so the Vietnamese, they celebrate New Year's at the end of January, not the end of December. And the okay. celebration is called uh, celebration is called Tet. And mm. you may recall. Yes. Yeah, so you may recall there was a, uh, a very large coordinated attack um, uh, in, at the end of January 1968. And uh, the communists uh, uh, basically struck 33 provincial capital cities across South Vietnam simultaneously. It was wow. the largest. It was the largest battle in Vietnam's history, and um, Bami Tu, unfortunately, was was one of those uh, cities that was attacked. And uh, so, again, uh, living on the missionary compound, uh, they realized the city was under attack. Uh, the missionaries uh, kind of confided and said, "What should we do?" And they said, "Well, it's, you know, our, our homes could become a target, uh, and perhaps we should relocate to." There was a like a um, kind of a storage area in, in, in the middle of the on the property there. There was also a leprosarium there uh, nearby, uh, and uh, nurses Ruth Wilting and Betty Olson worked at that leprosarium. So they decided uh, they would relocate uh, to the uh, storage area, and just as they decided that, uh, before uh, Bob and Carolyn Griswold, who lived in one of the homes, was able to leave their home, it was struck by rockets and it collapsed. Wow. And uh, Bob wow. and Carolyn Griswold perished uh, in, in, uh, in that. Uh, and then as, as the rest of the missionaries got to uh, the, uh, got to the uh, uh, storage area, they decided that would probably become a, a target as well. And so then my father and Bob Zemer, Bob and Miriam Zemer were also there. Uh -huh. uh, they decided that uh, we needed to come up with some kind of makeshift bunker. And we've not really previously had attacks on the town. And so you might be thinking, well, why didn't you have a bunker already? Uh, we really didn't. And so they went into the back of the property and we had a large hole in the ground, which was our garbage pit. And so uh, dad and, and Bob got down in there and they started to dig out garbage. And then they got some boards and, and, and some uh, some trees and, and laid it over the top uh, to make a makeshift bunker. And, you know, you can probably imagine what it must have smelled like. Um, and they decided they would take shelter there. And so uh, Ruth Wilting was, was coming, uh, was on the property and was coming to join uh, the Zemers and, and my parents uh, to get into the bunker. And uh, Betty Olson, um, when she was leaving the leprosarium, she was actually captured uh, by some North Vietnamese soldiers who had already uh, entered the property. And wow. uh, she was taken captive. Uh, we learned later, uh, two months later, uh, she died in captivity of dysentery. Uh, oh. and, uh, but uh, so as we climbed in, uh, Bob Zemer was, was the last one to, uh, getting ready to climb in. By then, the uh, Communist soldiers had scaled the wall of the compound. He was spotted, and uh, I guess in an attempt to protect the others, he, he walked towards them, uh, pulled out a handkerchief, uh, and basically to surrender or to negotiate, um, but they walked up and executed him on the spot. And then they turned their they turned their weapons, their AK-47s and a couple grenades, uh, 
you know, in, into that hole in the ground. And uh, then one of the communist soldiers, uh, you know, when the smoke had cleared, uh, climbed down in there to make sure everyone was dead. But by some miracle, Miriam Zemer, Bob's wife, although she had been wounded badly, she was still alive. And so for some reason, the communists decided to take her captive. Um, for what reason, we don't know. Uh, and the battle raged uh, raged on for about eight days. Um, wow. Now, in, in that city, there was also the 155th Helicopter Squadron, the U.S. 155th Helicopter Squadron, about three or four miles away. And they were, you know, had their hands full trying to defend the city. They had some help from F-16s from uh, Natron had come in. And over that eight days, uh, uh, they they fought to repel uh, the communist soldiers and eventually uh, were able to recapture the city. Over 10,000 sol uh, communist soldiers were, were killed. And there was only a complement of maybe 300 soldiers at the, at the U.S. Army base, uh, the helicopter squadron. But uh, they, they were successful in repelling, uh, repelling the attack. Now, during that attack, at some point, the uh, the communist soldiers decided they didn't want to keep uh, Miriam as a you know she was probably they thought a goner anyway, so they abandoned her. Uh, they did not take her back with them on the side of a road. Some tribal people came along. I don't know if it was the Rade tribe or another group of tribal people, but they took her over to the U.S. Army base. She was life flighted down to Natrong and then back to the states. Uh, she lived uh, up until maybe five or six years ago. So wow, wow. Um, but, uh, but it's by her account that we you know we have the details of what happened that day. But you know, for the other missionaries, for Ruth Wilting and and mom and dad, uh, obviously it didn't go so well. And after the fighting had stopped, um, the uh, cap or uh, the uh, captain or commander of of the helicopter squadron, they got in a, a, a truck, a deuce and a half, and they drove over to the missionary compound to. To check on the missionaries and of course when they got there they you know realized that the uh the griswolds had, had perished in the collapse of their home uh, they found bob zemer who had been executed outside of that hole in the ground and uh, then one of the soldiers uh, climbed down into that hole to see what was in there and uh, he found the bodies of, of mom and dad and ruth wilting uh, and so um, they decided they would try to bring the bodies out um, but you know with the force of the blast of the grenades um, mm. My, my father had tried to shelter my mom and Ruth Wilting with his body. Um, but after eight days, um, mm. you know, he, that soldier tried to kind of pull them apart, um, was not able to. And um, so they just filled in the hole and uh, put a cross on it. And that's where they're still buried today. So wow. uh, wow. and again, you know, uh, we were in boarding school uh, that Saturday morning. We were called into our dorm parents, um, uh, you know, room and, uh, uh, they told us what happened. Uh, I started crying, and, and my middle brother Dale said, "You know, Tommy, mommy, and daddy went to be with Jesus." Yeah. And I'd always, I'd always been taught that's the ultimate destination, you know. Yeah. And strange, strangely, I never mourned from that moment on. I, I just mm. somehow knew that they were in a better place. It wasn't until I grew older uh, that I became very cynical about what had happened. You know, crying. Right, yeah. You know, asking God. You know, these these were your servants. You know, sixteen years in in, in Cambodia with with one small church and ministering yeah. to a tribe that wanted to know you and not a single Christian and, and now starting over with a new language and a, and a, and a new mission and all of it ends in a garbage pit. I mean, are you kidding me, God? Mm. You know, yeah. and was this yeah. the plan? And, and I had a real hard time, you know, understanding how God could have a plan and all of that. So. You know, my, my, because what did, that, what did that do for you from that point on? Like what, I mean, cause I'd be, I'd be frustrated. I mean, I know the story, but like, what did that do to you after that moment, you know, from that point on in your journey? Yeah. 
you know, so I was at boarding school, which is probably the best place I could have been, right? Uh, I had all my friends around me. Again, my dorm parents, uh, I, you know, were really surrogate parents for me. And so that was a safe place for me. Now, for my older siblings, obviously, it was a much, much tougher impact on yeah. them. Uh, you know, my oldest uh, brother and sister were back in in, uh, in the states. Judy, the oldest, had to sort of be the spokesperson, right? She was at in college at Nyack, and um, wow, you know, okay. the media came and wanted to interview her, and um, you know, it was it, it was brutal. And uh, you know, I think she she really uh, suffered with anger, you know, anger at, at God, anger at the enemy that that uh, killed those missionaries for a long time, for a really long time. Um, and so it was difficult for her. For me. Um, so my aunt and uncle, my aunt and uncle, my mother's sister uh, Harriet and her husband George Harriet and George Irwin were also missionaries in Vietnam. They were in a different city that did not come under attack. So they adopted us, uh, and we continued to live in Vietnam all the way until Vietnam fell in 1975. And I continued to go to that boarding school all wow. the way up through the tenth grade at that point. And then um, I think it was excuse me April of uh, 75 uh, vietnam fell my parents uh, my adopted parents uh, had about 24 hours to get out of the country they made it down to saigon and they were on uh, one of the last two 747s that flew out of uh, saigon to guam that was full of orphans and uh, that's how they they got out of vietnam uh, and they went back to the states and uh, you know and, and consulted with the cnma and said you know what's next uh, it was me i'd probably you know be a good time to retire yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah but uh uh, they decided that, you know, Vietnam was formerly known as French Indochina, right? And so there was a lot of French influence in Vietnam. And, uh, you know, much of the architecture was built by the French. Uh, we lived in, okay. in older French homes when you know, most of the missionaries did when we lived there. And so it was decided they would relocate to Paris, France, uh, initially. Okay. And, uh, and they began planting churches. Uh, there was about a quarter million Vietnamese refugees that poured out of Vietnam that were able to get out of Vietnam. Uh, and uh, made it into France, and so they they began planting churches. So wow. it was my junior year, and they decided they, you know, for continuity, they wanted to continue to send me to the boarding school all the way in Malaysia for my so for my junior year. Okay. Uh, two times that year, I flew all the way to Malaysia and attended school. But then it got really expensive, and they decided, well, you know, we'll we'll just have them attend uh, uh, the American School of Paris. Now this was not a Christian school. I was 17 years old, living in Paris, France. Um, it was kind of a social awakening for me. A uh, very difficult time for my my adopted mom and dad, and dealing, mm. you know, with this Tommy who was kind of waking up to the world yeah. uh, with a lot of influences from the world. And uh, but when you're a missionary's kid, when you turn 18 and you graduate, or when you graduate, whatever age that is, uh, you go back to the states, right? The, the mission right. no longer supports uh, supports you. And, you know, today we have a halfway house, right, where kids returning from the mission field uh, can can kind of break in, right? Because, you know, when you when you live your whole life overseas, coming back to the States, the States is culture shock. Right? Yes, yes. You know? Yeah. I remember one time, I think I was about five years old, we were coming back on furlough, and, and I think it was on the trip coming back from Cambodia. You know, we were in JFK Airport, and I'd, I'd kind of disappeared, and my brother got really kind of panicked and went looking for me, and he, he went in the restroom, and... I was standing in one of the stalls flushing the toilet because I'd never seen that before, you know, swirling water and going down. And I thought it was pretty cool. You know? So they sent me to live with an aunt and uncle um, in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, a good Christian family. Uh, but, you know, I had a lot of religion growing up. You know, I mean, I, I was in church four days a week. I'd read the Bible yeah. four times. And, 
you know, but back then there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, grace. There was a lot of law, uh, you know, and in our family. And I always seemed to live under this cloud that if I wasn't perfect or if I'd forgotten to ask for forgiveness that day and, and something happened, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to go to heaven, you know. Mm. And, and God to me was kind of dark and kind of scary. And, you know, after all, you know, mom and dad, you know, didn't make it. And yeah. so I decided I'd find happiness my own way. And, and uh, so I, I ran away from, from their home after only being there about two weeks. I went and got a, lived in the, a city park. My cousin gave me a tent to live out of. And you might think, God, oh, that must have been terrible. But, you know, growing up in grass huts and spending nights out in the middle of nowhere in Vietnam, uh, it was, you know, it was, it was high end for me <laughs> to live in the tent in the city park. And uh, nobody bothered me, but I got a job. Swift premium turkey plant stuff on turkeys, and I was making a little bit of money. And one day, my brother showed up and said, "Hey, why don't you come live with me?" And he lived in Annapolis, Maryland. So I moved in with him. Had some different odd jobs, but you know, just trying some different things. It started with a bottle, and I was just you know drunk and sick all the time, and didn't find mm-hmm. my happiness there. And tried some drugs, uh, nothing too hard at the time. You know, some marijuana and mushrooms and different things. And I was just I was really a mess, right? Couldn't yeah. hold a job. And so one day I decided, well, I'll join the army. So I joined the Army, and uh, it was good in many ways, taught me a lot of discipline, a lot of responsibility. Um, uh, but the last almost two and a half years I was in the Army, I was I was sent down to the Panama Canal Zone in Panama. Wow. Um, this was before we gave, we gave it, this was before we gave it away, of course. And, uh, and when I got there, I hadn't even been in the country 24 hours, and somebody had hooked me up with pot already. Um, and oh, wow. drugs were drugs were very very prevalent. This was early '80s. There was no drug testing in the army, and I, I quickly found out that there was only a couple guys in our entire company of 160 people that weren't doing something, right? And wow, right, cocaine, right. Yeah, yeah, cocaine was was very cheap, almost free, very good stuff. Not like here in the U.S. You know, we're talking 40, 50 percent. Uh, it could it could kill you if you didn't manage it. And uh, so I, I, yeah, I got really addicted to coke and. Uh, head over heels, probably should have died several times. Uh-huh. Um, but God, God spared my life and uh, came to a point where, you know, I knew it was only a matter of time before they buried me. And so I went to my company commander, Captain Novak, and I was his driver and radio operator. Um, and uh, I, you know, I said, Captain, I said, I'm addicted to Coke and I'm afraid it's about to kill me. And so he replied with a, a quick two short two word answer I won't repeat, which indicated he was pretty aware of that already. But uh, he said, I like you. I said, I like you, Thompson. I'm going to send you to see the base psychiatrist. She works with all the top brass generals. Um, you know, she's she's very sharp, and, and maybe she can help you out. So I was pretty excited. I went to see her, and I remember I walked in. She said, tell me about yourself. So I shared some of what I just shared with you guys while, you know, growing up in Vietnam and losing my parents. And I looked up, and she was crying. And she came over, and she hugged me really tightly. She wow. said, I, I want to tell you. She said, I, I want to tell you how much you've helped me. <laughs> you're like wait a minute time out time out here like yeah, i'm yeah. here that's what i'm here for that's what i'm here for <laughs> that's what i'm here for <laughs> here to help you wow that's counselor. crazy <laughs> oh my gosh wow so and uh yeah I'm, I'm not here to knock psychiatry but you know no, i hear you yeah. answers you know the answers i was looking for and but i did i did manage to complete all my missions i was a good soldier albeit high most of the time along with Almost everybody down there. The uh, 80s but, you know, were a weird decade, man. The yeah, 80s yeah, were a weird yeah. decade. Yeah, wow. yeah. So, but I got my honorable discharge. Uh, it was January. I wasn't going anywhere north of Florida at that point. So I settled, <laughs> settled in Florida. And um, I went through cosmetology school and I got my cosmetology license. So, okay. Uh, you know, I can I can do my own hair and, and 
So, but I realized that wasn't my calling and I, I got a job in sales and I realized, um, uh, by the way, the, the, the drugs, although when I started, Hey, it felt great. You know, I thought I'd arrived, and, yeah. uh, but you know, the story with that, right. It just, uh, the addiction grows and grows and it gets worse and worse and before you know, you're trapped and, yep. and, uh, you know, it didn't deliver, it didn't deliver that happiness I was looking for. But then when I got a job in sales, I, I realized I had a gift for it. I started to become very successful. I started to make a lot of money, and I realized that's what I'd been missing in my life. Because, mm. uh, you know, the world says if you, if you have money, then you can buy whatever you want. And if you can yeah. buy whatever you want, you'll be happy, right? Right, and, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I got lots of promotions. Uh, you know, I moved quite a bit. Ended up in Tennessee. I was uh, uh, executive director over Tennessee and Kentucky for a multi-billion-dollar company. Wow. You know, and the, and the world would say I had arrived. Right. Right. I had all the stuff, you know, the sports cars, the home, swimming pools, country club memberships. And, you know, on the outside, it looked great, you know, but on the inside, uh, inside, I was about as ugly as it gets and I was about as empty as it gets. And, mm. you know, I didn't have anybody really to share that with, you know, um, and I was not somebody you would want to work for. I, I was I was a king size jerk, you know, and if you weren't about making me successful, you know, I just didn't have time for you in the business. And yeah. uh, we had about 75 employees. And I remember I was playing golf in the Legends one day and, and uh, with a buddy of mine and uh, still a good friend. But uh, we, uh, just two of us, we caught up with the twosome in front of us on the fifth hole at the Legends Club. And uh, they they were slowed down by a bunch of foursomes. And so they said, hey, you guys want to join us? And we said, yeah, sure. You know, and at this point, we'd already been partying five holes into the round. And, oh, yeah. You know, just doing what, you know, just doing what we do. And. And so we joined them and we partied on until we got to the 18th hole. And, and then my buddy, I don't know why, he, he asked them, he said, man, I, I sure hope you guys aren't preachers or anything. <laughs> <laughs> man, uh, preachers well, have a way to make the golf course a mission field, let me yeah. tell you. Yes, they do, you know. And, and we hadn't noticed that we were the only ones partying either, you know. So at that point, because we were kind of oblivious and... Uh, so Louis King, uh, who is to this day a very good friend of mine, he, he mm-hmm. looked at me and he gave me that he gave me that Ronald Reagan answer, right? Well, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he went on to tell me that uh, he was a pastor at New Hope Community Church, which I still attend today. Wow! And he he invited us to come to church that day, and it would have been nice if we'd have taken him up on that, but we just laughed at him and <laughs> oh, you know thank, thanked him for the round and kind of went our own way. But it was about two years later. And uh, wow! Uh, I, and my daughter was eight years old, Sabrina, and I, I knew that she needed something more than what the world was selling. And uh, I remember the name of that church. And uh, you know, this is a story about why cool. we're not called to save people; we're called to plant seeds. We don't yes. know, yeah, right, what's going to happen with that. That's a good right? point. We don't know. Yeah. And uh, that seed had been planted, and I walked through the back doors of that church. My daughter went off to Awana classes, and. Um, you know, and uh, you know, kid, kids, uh, kids' church and programs, and, and I moved around now every every Sunday so that you know Pastor Paul could never get a fix on me. You know, because <laughs> and uh, but uh, it was it was about two two years of attending that church, and uh, wow. uh, you know, and I, I'd been listening, and uh, you know, remember I, I came from a you know missionary's kid background, but so much of this was new to me. You know, this this grace, this love, this unconditional. Uh, love the God, offers, yeah. right? And uh, not license, but grace, right? And, right. Um, so one day I was after church, and a, a gentleman, Todd Hutchinson, uh, walked up to me and said, "Hey, Tom." He says, "Well, we're going to be doing a, a, a Wednesday night men's group." You know, back then we didn't call them connect groups. Today we call them connect groups. But yeah. he said we're going to be going through Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life. And wow. 
I said, why don't you join us? And I thought, well, okay. He said, you know, because I was a man without purpose, definitely. Mm. Um, and the only purpose of my life had been me up to that point. And so I, I agreed to go. And that, that first night, I opened the book, and the first sentence on the first page says, it's not about you. And I wasn't really familiar with that concept. But as I read on, I began to learn that I was created with intention. I was created for a purpose. And then I've been given uh, a unique set of gifts and abilities in my life, not just spiritual gifts, but, you know, music and sports. I play all sports. And, you know, and that God wasn't asking me to put on a robe and become a priest or a pastor. Some people are called to that. But he was just asking me to use my gifts, my abilities, my talents, everything that he gives me uh, for his kingdom. Right. And, mm, and to, yeah. glor- to, to glorify him and, and to bless others and make a difference in my in my home, my community and, and in this world. And, um, you know, it's about I think it was about a, an eight week class, about halfway through. I, I, I don't remember the date, but I just remember one night in that class, I just turned around, fell on my knees and I said, OK, God, I said, I've, I've tried it all my way. Um, you gave wow. me everything I thought I wanted. And. <laughs> And the whole of my heart didn't get smaller. It just got bigger. I said, I, I'll, I'll surrender my heart to you. And I don't know what that means in the long run, but um, here I am, you know. And wow. he, gave me a couple of, he gave me a couple of miracles right away, right away. And, wow. you know, transformation is a journey. We know that. But a couple yep. of gifts he gave me right away. First one was a love for my family that I never never understood or had. That's right? cool. So I was always a good father, right? I mean, to me, being a good dad means... Kids have a good school. Mom has a good house, right? Everybody has provide, a nice provide, car. Provide, you know, provide, yeah, provide, yeah. provide. As long as it's not too much of my time, right? You know. So, uh, but he gave me a love for them that that just you know set all that aside, and and I just saw them for who they were, you know, his creation, precious in his sight. And then he gave me the ability to see everyone uh, yeah. through his eyes, mm. right? Precious in his sight. And I was a very prejudiced person, a very angry person obnoxious person you know and god just replaced all that with a love for people um, regardless of race creed social status yeah you know these are his kids and uh, you know and, and he loves them and i'm supposed to love them like he does and that's and awesome anytime i catch myself starting to judge somebody he's like do we need to play back your dvd <laughs> <laughs> Okay. No. <laughs> no. 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 I remember. I remember. I remember this one. I remember this part. Yeah. yeah. Well, I and, love that uh, you're. I love that you're saying that because I feel like that is it. I mean, we we get so caught up in programs and and process, and it's like no, it literally is the spirit that does yes, the work, and yes, we just forget yes. about that. So I mean, I, I I want you to keep going, but I want to recognize that to those who are listening, the value of of you know, hey, it took two years, and someone planted a seed, and then all those years later. Now you are a believer, and it's like th- that moment on the golf course. You're like, did it really matter? It does. It those does ma- matter. Those moments matter. matter. Yep. So, I'm sorry. I don't, don't want to cut you off, but I just wanted to, to acknowledge that. So, no, I'm sorry. Keep on going, no, man. I, I'm, I'm loving this. I'm like, I'm like, okay, what's next? So, <laughs> no, I, I think for uh, for believers, it's so important to understand that, right? Because we get yeah. caught up in results, right? We get caught up in counting and those kinds of things, and you know that we'll be shown the numbers when we stand before God one day, right? And I think that day of accountability yeah. is, is not to review sins, right? Because he said our sins are forgotten as far as east is from the west. So either that's true or it's not. And if it's not true, then nothing is, right? And so, you know, I believe that. And I believe that day is to, is to review the things that we accomplished in his name that maybe we had no idea. You right? know, and it, and, yeah, and, and, and I love that you're saying it because there's also the verse that talks about the tears will be wiped away. And I know that there's those moments where we go, you know, our sins or whatever. But I almost, I almost believe that a part of that, and this is maybe the new Bill version, and hopefully I'm not being a heretic, but that idea when God goes, this is what you could have done 
had you trusted me and believed in yeah. me. And, uh, and man, I hope that we don't, I hope there's as few tears as possible in our journeys, you know, that as we go, God, yeah. what are you calling me to do? And what am I supposed to do? You know? So, yeah, I think, I think more than that, it'll be a celebration of, of what God accomplished through us. That, right. that we yeah, have no yeah, idea, yeah. right? That, that time we shared a kind word, that time we fed a hungry, yeah. hungry heart, you know, um, not thinking that it would do anything. Right. Walking yeah. away going, wow, that was a waste of time, you know, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's a seed that, that waits for a compelling event. Right. When that storm mm. comes along and the rain is just right and the sun comes out, suddenly <laughs> that seed sprouts. Right. And in our lives, yeah. those compelling events can be a lot of different things. And that's when somebody says, what was it he said to me that day? Wow. Yeah. I, I, I need to find out more about that. And it's and the spirit that beginning. stirs that, that stirs that thought. It's yeah, the spirit yeah. that brings Absolutely. that forth. That's awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I, I, I do have a, a question for you. Um, planting seeds, going back to your mom and dad and their faithful, faithful service in that um, area. Um, have, have you ever had a chance to go back to Vietnam? Have you ever been able to see, you know, the impact that they had maybe long term um, now that, you know, what we're 40 years past that, 50 years past yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's the kind of the second part of the story is that you know for we always wanted to go back, but that missionary compound at the end of the war became a, mi- a military communist military training compound. Okay. Wow. So okay. the, the grave had become overgrown in the back of the compound. That's just the way the government wanted it, you know, forgotten, mm-hmm. sight unseen. Um, and for about 15 years, up until 2010, my oldest brother went on to be a, a missionary surgeon in Africa. He was there for about 42 years, first in Gabon, Africa, and then in Egypt. So the last 15 years, he'd been sending letters, and I didn't even know this, to the the governor of that area, Bobby Tuit, asking permission for us kids to be able to come back and visit the grave. Never got an answer, 15 years, but he was persistent. He kept writing the letters. And then one day uh, in in July of 2009, we got a letter from uh, a governor. And then he said, yes, I've received your request. He said, uh, I'm, I'm going to allow you to come, uh, and you need to come on December 17th at 3.30 p.m. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the exact moment. Not yeah. precise. <laughs> you know, not during the week of or maybe in December. Uh, so we were pretty excited. So the five of us got together. My middle brother, Dale, lives up in Wisconsin, and we went and had a little family reunion and talked about the opportunity. And 2009 had been a difficult year financially for me coming out of the crash, you know, market crash. And oh, yeah, my yeah. two oldest sisters uh, in their jobs, they'd already been committed to work through the holidays. Uh, so it, it was looking, you know, tough, right? Impossible, maybe. And I remember thinking this is impossible. And and David, my oldest brother, said, well, let's just pray. And if God wants us to go, he'll he'll make a way, right? And <laughs> I remember thinking, yeah, you know, sure. Yeah, thanks <laughs> a lot. Pray. Thanks. Thank yeah. you for praying. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> so... Uh, it wasn't even a week later. David uh, was was back in California, and they were on furlough at the time. Okay. And uh, uh, he ran into a couple that had paid his way through uh, med school some 40 years earlier. Uh, he went to med school oh. in Pittsburgh. And so they went and had lunch, and uh, they said to him, they said, David, you know, um, you know, we've really been blessed this year. A lot of people have had a tough year, but we've really been blessed, and God's laid on our hearts that we need to help your ministry in some way. And uh, you know, how can we help you? And he said, well, you know, I'm, you know, we have a hospital in the middle of the jungle. We always have needs, but there is this opportunity for us kids to go back. And, you know, it's, it just doesn't seem doable, you know, financially. And so uh, they said, well, how much do you think it would cost? And David said, probably twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars $25,000, you know, and, and they said, that's it. And they said, um, you kids go. He said, uh, we'll cover everything for you guys. And uh, so, 
then my sisters went to their bosses who had already committed them to work through the holidays and explained the situation. It was met with grace and they were told, wow. yeah, you can, you can go. And my schedule was fairly flexible. And so, um, you know, within a week, God had removed all the roadblocks, and He doesn't just answer prayer; He He does it in style. Sometimes I remember. <laughs> yes, He does. <laughs> uh, we checked in uh, to uh, Japan Airlines in Chicago for a 22-hour trip to uh, Saigon. Uh, they handed us our boarding passes, and we were in executive business class. Nice. So not, not only did they pay for our tickets, they 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 put us in in comfort for at least on the way there, <laughs> and uh, so. Now, my oldest sister, Judy, had somehow mixed up the dates, and so she'd missed her flight and was going to have to try to come the next day, which she did uh, later, and she also got uh, boarded on executive business class. And then my brother, David, and and Becky were back in Gabon, Africa, and they were going to fly from there to meet us in Saigon. And so the three of us, we boarded, and we flew into Saigon, Vietnam, uh, now known as Ho Chi Minh City, of course. And um, uh, we got in about midday, and so we had some time to walk around the city and you know, sometimes people ask me, you know, what did it feel like? You know, I mean, like, were you overwhelmed? And all I remember is that I felt like I was home. Right? I mean, this is where I grew yeah. up. And, you know, just to be walking around and, and just being surrounded in the culture again. And it just, it was wonderful. And uh, it wasn't until the next day, uh, we got on a smaller turboprop and uh, it was about an hour flight up to Bonnie to it. Uh, we were flying in over the city about to land. It's kind of when the emotions hit me full blast, you know, that I was really coming home at this point. And when we landed, I remember I told you there was a young pastor of that small church. I was 22 years old who helped to bury my mom and dad or fill in that hole, I guess. He was there to meet us some 41 years later. And uh, he and his son were there and uh, a lot of tears and hugs. And and he said, uh, I have so many incredible things to show you. But first, let's go back to the hotel and get you get you settled. So we went to the hotel. We just put our bags in our room. Bones rang, and it was him. He said, you need to come back down to the foyer. So we came back down to the foyer. And he said, oh, the governor just called. Yeah. And uh, he said he wants to meet with all of you tomorrow at 9 o'clock in the morning. And, oh, wow. Uh, and that wasn't really had been part of the plan at that point, but he wasn't really asking. And so uh, the next morning, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> next morning, he sent a couple cars to pick us up. And uh, we went to the palace, grand, big, beautiful building. And we walk in, and this huge room and in this huge room, there's like a, a bunch of tables behind each other, big, wide mahogany, beautiful mahogany tables. Uh, and the governor's sitting right there in the middle of like a second one, and his police chief is sitting to the right of him. Now, remember, this is a Saturday morning at nine o'clock, and here's what's interesting. His entire cabinet was in there with him. Wow. Um, so all, all the ministers, agriculture minister of religion, minister of tourism, industry, you know, probably about, probably about 20 ministers are, are in the room. There's lights, there's cameras, there's microphones. Now, my oldest brother and sister hadn't got in yet, so it was just the three of us and this little Rod A pastor is about four foot five. Um, now, he speaks English, Vietnamese, um, as well as, as Rod A, right? Uh, but he, uh, I think I said Kaha, but he was the, a Rod A pastor. And, and so he was going to be our translator. So everything that happened next was all through translation. And so the governor looked right at, pointed right at me and he said, why are you here? And... Uh, huh. I remember the first thing I did was I said a quick prayer, right? I said, Holy Spirit, I got nothing. <laughs> you know, I said, uh, you know, you, you've got to bring us through this. And you could tell there was a lot of suspicion in the room. And I, I find myself saying, well, in your culture, it's very important that, that you honor those who have passed away. And we're so grateful that you've given our family an opportunity to do the same thing and mm, give us the chance yeah. to come. 
And then he turned to my sister and asked the same question. She responded in, in kind. And then again to Dale. And Dale, you know, again, just reiterated our gratefulness for being there, for giving us the opportunity to come. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then he said, well, what are you going to do with the grave? Right. And I said, well, um, you know, we just uh, want to honor our mother and father and those who passed away that day. And I, I brought my guitar. We'll probably sing some songs and, and uh, you know, uh, things like that. And, and, uh, and then he goes, well, what else are you going to do while you're here in town? And I said, mm. well, I, I said, it's good to be home. He was like, well, what do you mean? I said, this is my home. This is where I grew up. And I said, it is so good to be back. And I said, I'm really looking forward to eating some good Vietnamese food. And I, yes. I, I, try, I, I tried to name a bunch of dishes, right? Tit Gan, Ban Mao, and Ban Hoi, and, and Chaya. And well, Vietnamese is a very precise language. Um, <laughs> the same spelling can have different accents. And the different accents, if you give it a different meaning. So if you don't say the word just right, you are saying something else. So gotcha. they all started laughing. Uh, uproariously, and I have no idea what I told him we were going to eat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, something happened. Something very interesting happened there. And, and uh, he uh, he looked at the media and he said, "Get out!" And then he turned off the microphones, turned off the lights, and then he went on to tell us that he had just been promoted to governor a, a little over a year ago after a wow. big uprising with the tribal people. And he said, "In my region." There's 55 different tribes that make up over 70% of my population. He goes, we're actually the minority. But he goes, here's what's interesting. He said, the tribal people, they're hard workers, right? They're trustworthy. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the war, they lost all of their land. They had no land in the city. They were pushed out into the jungle. He said, you know, I, you know, I, I want to find a way to bridge the gap, right? And, and yeah. maybe get them involved in, in, in our industries. And uh, and so that was, that was interesting that he that he stated that and uh, and then I, I said well and then, oh then he went on to tell us that we're now the second larger largest exporter of coffee in the world. Now I'm you know, familiar with you know Colombia Brazil of course you know I'm thinking that's like buy me to it Vietnam and and I meant to say your minister of agriculture must be proud but I blurted out your coffee minister must be proud and my translator translated the, that way. I didn't think it was that funny, but they all started laughing again, and they started pointing <laughs> at the poor guy. And uh, I think to this day he'll be known as the coffee minister from ever on. But, uh, but, you know, my brother and sister hadn't got in yet, and, and our time to visit the grave was that afternoon. And they were going to come right. all this way and, and miss the grave, uh, miss the visit. And so I said as much to the governor, right? And, and I said, would you have the kindness in your heart to give us another visit? And he turned to his police chief, and he said, let me see the itinerary. Well, I didn't give him an itinerary, so I didn't know we had an itinerary, but, um, you know, communist government, I guess we did. And, yep. But then he turned to the police chief and he said, uh, you make sure they can go wherever they want, as much as they want, as long as they want, and that nobody bothers them. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And then he turned to his uh, minister of religion and he said, I, I want you now to take them as my honored guest to the best restaurant in the city. Wow. And so, that's and, awesome. Yeah. So the meeting concluded. And she did that first. She took her back to her office and she had all kinds of gifts for us. Coffee. We had more coffee than we'd had to buy extra suitcases to bring all these gifts back. And I think we did, actually. Uh, and then she took us to, to this beautiful restaurant, uh, the nicest in the city, huge, long table. And here's what's interesting. We got there and all the all the cabinet ministers came to lunch, too. Right. I don't know, free meal, governor's pan, I guess, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, everyone that, That's a universal <laughs> truth, man. If someone else is paying, everyone's showing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so uh, 
So they're all there. And uh, so we're sitting around this table sharing stories about our family, about their mission in Vietnam, about the service they did at the Leprosarium, you know, sharing with the top communist leadership of that area, uh, having lunch, right, and, and talking about our family. And I remember I remember the, uh, the, uh, the meeting ended, uh, or the lunch ended. It was long. It was about three-hour lunch. And I got back to my room in the hotel. And I remembered the story about when King Agrippa was, I mean, when Paul was brought the Apostle Paul was brought before King Agrippa, okay. right? And, and I remember there was a verse about that. And so I looked it up and I think it's an Acts. I, I don't have the, the chapter verse for you. But what it says is that when you're brought before rulers and authorities, do not worry about what you will say, because at that time, the Holy Spirit mm. will give you the words to say. Yeah. And I, I remember the laughter. I remember how God delivered us in that meeting. And I was so grateful for that. Well, uh, the next day uh, was Sunday. And so the, the pastor and his son came to pick us up in a couple SUVs. By then, my brother, oldest brother and sister, David and Judy, had made it in from Gabon and from the U.S. Okay. And so the five of us piled into these two cars. And it was about a two-hour drive. Uh, again, their land had been taken away, and, and they were way out in the country. And right, these yeah. roads were not paved. You know, it was a, you know, a tenuous drive to get there. We finally get to the pastor's house. And I noticed behind the pastor's house is this large metal warehouse. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, and, the, you know, there were no cars, there were no motorbikes. You know, these are all poor people. Uh, and so we walk into this warehouse and it's full of tribal people. Right? <laughs> we start walking up towards the front and they're all pointing at us and they're whispering. And uh, we got up to the front row and, and uh, we sat down and, and, and my oldest brother, David, he turned to the pastor and he said, why were they pointing? What were they saying? And he said, well, they call you the children of the, of the sacrifice. And, what? And uh, I was like, "Wow!" And then, and I said, "Oh, Pastor, there must be 500 people here." And he said, "No, it's about 800." Wow. And uh, he said, "It's the first of three services." And he said, "This is one home." He said, "This is one home church." He said, "There's more than 300 just like it in this region." Wow. And uh, and and he said, "You know, it's don't ask, don't tell. The government doesn't want to know about it." But we yeah. have more than 300 home churches. It's kind of a big church to call a home church, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah he's going to say, yeah, it's, it's a large home. Services, it's know. a big home. Here's what's funny. You know, we got there at 930. It's standing room only. People are leaning in the windows, right? It's packed. It's 930. The service doesn't even start until 10. Imagine that, right? So uh, I, I had to joke with my pastor about that one. So as <laughs> well, we're out so that foyer lassoing people, trying to get them in at the start of the service. But anyway. So, so you're telling me, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm, I was no, going to no, say, no, please, please. You, so just to get clarity, 300 churches, is that what you said? Yes. Of people that were impacted by your father and yes. mother. Yes, and other missionaries who, who died there that day. And I'll touch on that in a minute because, you know, Ooh, in, their culture, yeah. in their culture, nobody dies for somebody else. You know, we celebrate that in, in our culture, right? We, yeah. we celebrate heroes, a guy who jumps on a grenade. You know, all of those kinds of things, right? Yeah. Someone who gives their life for someone else. But in their culture, nobody does that, right? They're not even familiar with the concept. And, uh, you know, but, but when they saw that happen, right? So the gospel message of Jesus dying for someone else, when they saw that action happen, it was a catalyst that changed everything. And wow. it got even more interesting. Uh, I mean, after the service, and we were showered with gifts again, by uh, uh, tribal Bibles and, and, and these hand-woven cloths and things they gave us. 
and all these different choirs came up, right? Children's choirs and youth choirs and women's choir and men choir. And then the congregation began singing for about 30 minutes. And I thought the roof was going to collapse. I mm. never heard singing like that, right? Just praise the God. And uh, so the service was over and the pastor said, let's have lunch. I have more to tell you. And I was like, how could you have more to tell? <laughs> <laughs> like, what else is there? Yeah. <laughs> So we, no, but wait, there's more. Wow. <laughs> yeah. We're around the table having lunch, and he says, by the way, he says, you remember the Manong tribe that your father worked with for six years? Yeah. And David said, yeah, how do you know about them? He said, uh, you know, they're in Cambodia. He says, oh, he says, uh, after the war uh, at Vietnam fell, he said, many years later, there was a lot of persecution of, of that and many other tribes in, in Cambodia by the Khmer Rouge. And he said, many of the Manong people fled across the border into our area. And we came to know many of them and still do to this day. He said, matter of fact, several of them were, were in church today. And he wow. said, what your mother and father never knew uh, was that in their culture, in their tribe, no one can become a Christian unless the family votes on it. If the family votes and approves, then that individual can uh, you know, give his heart to Jesus. He said, and no family can, wow. can come, to, come to Christ unless the village elders vote on it. And if they approve it, then the family can, can, can become Christian. And no village can become a Christian village unless uh, the village chief, the very man who went to meet your father some 40 years ago, approves it. Wow. <laughs> and wow. He said, he said it just took its time to work through the system. He said today all 10,000 are, are believers in Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> like I, that is incredible. I mean, like yeah. talk yeah. about a seed planted and the value yeah. of it. And f- Wow. Wow. It's yeah, my, me well, my mom, yeah and, 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 you know, he said, we, this is your mother and father's heritage, a heritage of those missionaries who, who gave their lives. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so um, my mom had a favorite verse, right? And it's in Luke, and I can't remember where it was. I'm, I'm really bad at memorization, and that's why I hate it. School. Welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah, okay. But uh, it's, it's Bob, right? No, just kidding. Yes, it's, uh, <laughs> and this is Jimmy and Tom. <laughs> so, so, but her favorite verse was the one that says, you know, and, and, and if a seed, uh, if a seed falls to the ground, mm, right, mm, uh, it, it, mm. it, it remains only a seed. But if that seed dies, it, it bears much fruit. Right. right? Uh, and those are words spoken by Jesus when he knew at that moment he was going to the cross for us. Wow, yeah. You know, that's when he shared that verse, you know. Um, but anyway, it was, it was, now it was time to go to the grave, right? He granted us the visit the next day and. And so we all pile back into the SUVs. It was incredible. It's just an incredible time there, and incredible time of healing for my family as well. You know, to see this fruit. Wow. You know, Judy had struggled my oldest so long with just the why God, right? Why would why would you allow this to happen? And to go and just be surrounded, not hear about, but be surrounded by that fruit of these tribal people just worshiping and just praising God and thanking you know thanking us for the sacrifice and. You know, I mean, if that ain't closure, nothing is, you know. Oh, my and, uh, gosh. So we, we go to the grave, and when we get to the grave, all of the ministers are there waiting for us. And they had had the grave completely, all the overgrown, cleared away. They'd repainted, uh, repainted all of the headstones. They even brought flowers for my, my sisters to place at the headstone. And uh, so we did that. We had some onion paper, and, you know, we traced the writings on the headstones, and and then I got out my guitar and we band, you know, we uh, started singing some worship songs, right? And then on the last worship songs, uh, I, uh, we reached out our hands and we're in a circle with all these ministers. 
and they reach out and they hold our hands and we sing uh, we're singing in english a rade pastor again our translator is, is singing in vietnamese so they can understand it so we're standing in a circle holding hands with the top communist leadership wow. singing how great is our, how great is our god <laughs> Sing us how great is our God. Oh. And uh, and then my brother, David, he, he said a prayer over them. And he asked God to prosper them, to prosper their industry, to bless them, to bless their government and their leadership. It was a powerful prayer and a powerful witness. And, uh, and then we concluded. And uh, uh, we were getting ready to leave, and the minister of religion walked up to us. And she said, oh, I have a document the government, uh, or the, uh, the governor wanted me to share with you. He wasn't able to be here today but it's a land grant and uh, he had granted seven acres of land within the city um, for the tribal people to build a church within the city limits what? Um, <laughs> and never never had they been given land back never had you know they had no status right they yeah you know uh, they were just outcasts mm. and uh, so he granted this property of seven acres for them to come and build a church that church has been completed by the way yeah. Um, wow. and, uh, and you know, he he wanted you uh, to know this. And he said, furthermore, he'll arrange to have their grave relocated to that property, so the people they serve could come and honor them. And, oh. uh, I don't know if the grave has been moved yet. I know the church has been completed. But here's here's the beauty. He said, you know, today, tribal people who were outcasts, persecuted. That that young pastor had been jailed at least three times for sharing the gospel for his faith. Uh, that those tribal people were now able to worship. In a church, on land, ordained by the communist government, free from persecution. <laughs> oh man, how great is our God, man! That is how so great is our so, God. So you know, in, in the trials and in the struggles of life, you know, if, if if people ask you, does God have a plan in that? Does He have a purpose in that? You know, His purpose is eternal, right? We get caught up in in our lives, in our time frame, living this life. What's going to happen if I get yeah. sick? What's going to happen if I die? Um, you know, he's concerned about eternity. He was concerned about a quarter million tribal people that without those events may never have come into the kingdom of God. You know, and, you know I could be mad at those soldiers. I could be angry at those soldiers, but they were doing their job. You yeah. know, that's what soldiers do. They were following their orders and yeah. their orders were to execute, you know, those missionaries. Little did they know they were facilitating kingdom work, you know, and, and although mom and, died, mom and dad died there that day, Ed and Ruth Thompson, it wasn't the end of something. It was just no. the start of something incredible, wow. you know. And I, I think about I think about the disciples, right, who all ran away when Jesus was bleeding out on the cross, right? Except John and his mother was there, but for the rest of them, they were gone, right? They were hiding. Now maybe they were watching from a distance at their Messiah, at Jesus Christ, who they knew at this point was the Son of God, bleeding out on the cross. They must have been crying out, "God, is this, how could this be your plan? He was our Messiah." Right, he's, he's your son. Why is he? Why is he dying? And and you know, and Jesus going to the cross. That that wasn't the end of something. That was just the beginning of something. That was the beginning of life, yeah. salvation for us, yeah. uh, a way back to God uh, through that incredible sacrifice. I, I love how the stories parallel. And and although the story of my parents and those missionaries is is an amazing story, it's in the big picture. It's just a little story, and mm. part of a yeah. big, 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 big story. Right. Mm. You know, I, yeah. I, you know, as as we're wrapping up, I, I, I would love you to share. <laughs> I mean, like you did, but what would you say to the, to the man in ministry or the person who feels like they're trying to pour out and they literally 
feel like they can't see anything, like, like, they, like they've done all this work and they're ready to call it quits, what would you say to them? I mean, I feel like you did, but I want you to talk right to that person right now, to the person who's listening that's like, I'm ready to give it up because it just doesn't feel like it's worth it. What would you say to them? You know, yeah, um, you know, I'll use myself as an example, okay? I'm in sales. I'm very results-oriented, right? Yeah. So numbers are important to me, right? Results are important to me. Um, you know, I've been going to Ukraine every year for the last 15 years, sharing the gospel, sharing my testimony. Mm-hmm. Not the last two years, but the 15 prior to that. And there were many times when I would share, you know, we did a lot of sports ministries with, with young guys, right? Yeah. Uh, high school, college level kids, troublemakers, you know, not really interested in anything you had to say, you know. Um, and there were many times, you know, I, I'd come back to the States going, well, I wonder, if, you know, any, that was worth anything. Right. Yeah. Uh, but then when you go back, you know, and you, it's, it's been a few years, you go back and, and some guy walks up to you and says, hey, you don't remember me. Uh, we were down in the Black Sea. It was a hot, miserable nine days. And you were down there serving us and sharing your story and, and playing soccer with us and, and doing all this stuff. And he, he said, I want you to know today I'm a missionary in China <laughs> uh, because you had the courage to not only serve us and spend that time with us, but to share your life, to share about Jesus. He said, I laughed at you. Right. I laughed at you, but he said, you know, I, you didn't know this, but not even a month later, I gave my heart to Jesus. And, wow. wow. You know, and they're not all going to come up to you, right? The impacts of, yeah. of your seat, right? And, and, and because I'm results oriented, I think God protects me from the results because then right. I would, of course, take credit and pat myself on the back. Right. Um, yeah. but just, just, just be faithful to know that the results, you're not, you're not responsible for the results. Right. And if, if you're trying yeah. to measure it based on results, you're always going to come up short. You're always going to be frustrated. Yeah. Right. If, if at the end of the day, you can say, I responded to a divine appointment. I answered the call. I made myself available. I, I listened to their story. I shared my story of what God's done in my life. Right? I related to them. I gave them something to hold on to you. You've accomplished the mission. You've accomplished the mission. And just trust that God will carry that mission through, and He will water and prosper the harvest. And wow. He may even let you in. He may even let you in. Yeah. So. Wow, Tom, yeah. this is great. We, you know, we need to have you back on. I'm going to save some for the next time because this has been been awesome. <laughs> But, Lord, man, this has been so powerful. And, man, thank you so much for sharing this. In fact, we're gonna, I'll put the, the YouTube link on this video as well for you in our YouTube channel. So check out the YouTube channel, and we'll have that available in the link there for you to check out Tom's full testimony as well. I mean, he shared most of it, but, man, to hear it straight through was awesome. And, Tom, thank you so much yeah, Tom. for thank today. This you. has been powerful. Um, don't give up. Don't, don't, don't give up. It's worth it. Tom, thank you so much for sharing this. We, we I want to have you back on because I want to talk more in some detail. Yeah. But this has been amazing. Wonderful. And uh, Travis, sure. any last words for you? No, Tom, thank you so much. And I, I love how God is, um, man, he is so patient with us to journey where we need to journey so yeah, that um, yeah. when the time is right, um, faith takes root. And uh, man, we see what the, only the Spirit can do. So thank you, Tom, for your story. I really appreciate it. This has been powerful. Perfect. Tom, if someone wants to get connected with you, um, how can they do that? Uh, well, I'm not on Facebook. Um, Probably the best thing in the world. I'm not. Those are the best yeah, words in the uh, world. Um, I don't need to know what everyone's having for lunch. But um, Yeah, right. So I, that, that has more to do with temptation, right, and all the stuff that, that social media throws at you. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, you know, we all have thorns in our sides and weaknesses we struggle with. But uh, no, I did want to speak to that, right, because 
I love Philippians 1 6. It's my favorite verse, right? God will be faithful to complete his journey in us. And because mm. firstly it implies that there's there's no arrival, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a it's a journey and, and you know, we're learning every day, but more importantly, and I wish surrender was a one time event weekly would be nice. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's a daily. It's a daily, you know, and, and uh he's faithful to carry us through that journey and, and just make us more like him every day, you know, and uh, that's why that's my favorite verse. But probably, you know, ttsavannah at gmail.com. Okay. Um, I can put that link down yeah. there, too. Be able to connect yeah, up with you. That'd be to, great. If you want to connect with Tom. Tom, thank I'm, you. I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah, on you're, LinkedIn as well. You're on LinkedIn. Yep. I think I think we're actually yeah. friends on LinkedIn, so it's yep. official. So, But no, Tom, this has been awesome. Yeah, and Tom, uh, thank, thank you. you so much for sharing today. Yeah. And, uh, man, wait, guys, uh, thank you for listening today. I mean, this is a lot to take in and process. Yeah, great story, though. And I uh, pray that you're encouraged by it. Um, as always, info at knownlegacy.org. If you guys have any questions or comments, we can get you in touch with Tom. Yes. And, uh, you know, share the video, share the YouTube link, yes, share yes, the yes. Uh, Facebook post. And, um, yeah, find him on LinkedIn. Yeah, stay connected with us. Stay connected with him. If you have any more questions, info at Known Legacy. We'd love to catch up with you guys. Tom, again, thank you so much. Thanks for listening, guys. Hope you guys are blessed by this and share this with your friends. God bless you guys. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the No Legacy Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. So email us your questions or comments to info at nolegacy.org.